Welcome back to another episode of Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving. Once again, I'm Krupa. And I'm Anisha. Today we'll be continuing our podcast series on body dysmorphia and eating disorders with an interview with a therapist who specializes in eating disorders and family-based therapy. Today's guest is Nan Shaw. Nan, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Happy to. Thank you. So first off, would you tell us about what kind of therapy you provide for youth, specifically with an eating disorder? Yeah. So primarily when working with teens with an eating disorder, I offer family therapy and specifically family-based therapy, also called FBT, which is a very specific kind of family therapy that was designed for adolescents with eating disorders. And it's an outpatient therapy that takes six to 12 months to complete. Sometimes it can take longer, sometimes less time, but that's basically generally how it goes. And another part of that and how I work is also working with a team. So I work with doctors, dietitians, and I'm the family therapist. And as part of the family therapy, I meet with the team and the parents together, and sometimes the siblings too. And then if there are situations where a family can't be involved, let's say it's a college student that lived, that's far away from their family, I sometimes also work with the teen adolescent only, and that's called adolescent focused therapy. Okay. That's super interesting. I didn't actually know that you worked with the family as well as the child. So since you specialize in family-based therapy, can you elaborate a little bit on what working with a patient's entire family is like and why that involvement is so important? So working with the whole family, I personally think is wonderful. I came into this work as a family therapist anyway, and I particularly like that because really the whole family is involved in the illness. I think it's important to involve the whole family in the recovery, and everyone's sort of in on it. And everyone in the family also deserves to have the education, the support, uh, the tools to help the teen with the eating disorder get better. But the primary focus really is getting the teen better. Family involvement is important because at its core, eating disorder is considered an illness that is keeping the teen from eating enough to survive or feeling out of control maybe with eating too much or purging. And it's the nature of the illness that the teen can't change this by themselves, let's say. And so who better to help than the parents? And also, I just want to say when I say parents, I also mean caregivers but maybe who's ever caring for the youth, whether it's a parent or someone else in charge. And the other reason I think it's important to include the family is that by the time an eating disorder has been identified in a teen, they've been struggling by themselves for quite a while, and it's scary and exhausting. So I think of it as sort of when they're getting the family involved, it's sort of like the cavalry has arrived, and they no longer have to do that by themselves. Right. I just like to say that that's really eye-opening to me and something I I didn't know before. And so we actually previously spoke with a teenager who did struggle with an eating disorder, and they talked about how it helped them open up to their parents a lot more. So I think that on that topic, uh, would you be able to talk about just what common challenges you come across when you work with teenagers and teenagers' families? So that's a great question, actually. Probably the first one I think of is that for the teen, even a teen that wants help, this type of treatment, family-based treatment, or really any eating disorder treatment, can initially feel like things are being taken away, whether it's the diet they're interested in or the exercise they want to do, that suddenly 
parents and other people such as myself are all involved in that. And it can feel, particularly I think to teens who are becoming more independent and doing more by themselves to suddenly have professionals all in their business and parents all in their business can feel both insulting and threatening. And of course, that's not the goal. And because the illness by definition creates a situation where the teen isn't eating enough or is purging too much and can't intervene, we have to do that. But it can feel like that something's being taken away. Another thing I think teens often feel challenging with eating disorder recovery is if they're dealing with anorexia and have to gain weight. That's a hard thing. I mean, we live in a culture where losing weight is always honored. Mm -hmm. We have no idea why someone's losing weight and gaining weight is always judged, or at least it feels that way. And so here you bring a teen in and say, guess what? You have to gain weight. That can be a hard thing to sit with comfortably. Two other challenges I think of. Another is that there's sort of a belief in this treatment that all life stops until you get better. And that is to prioritize recovery over everything else. And so teams that are heavily invested in their academics, studying for the SAT or loving their soccer team. Uh, Suddenly everything is like, wait, hold up. You can't do this. You're going to have to leave school early or, you know, soccer's on hold. That can be really hard and scary. And true, we have to. All life stops until you get better. And then I think the last challenge for teens is they can feel pretty ashamed of what's going on and isolated, maybe not talking to their friends, not wanting to go out and have pizza with their friends because they're having a hard time having pizza and feeling really out of step with their peers. Yeah, that was perfect. Um, I didn't really know any of that before, and I'm glad that we could talk about this because I know that a lot of teenagers, they have these kind of like isolation issues and things about missing out on their teen years in general. And I feel like having an eating disorder would amplify that so much, the recovery. Um, I know everyone's experience must be different, but just a follow-up question, what advice would you give to youth dealing with an eating disorder or for their parents? So let's start with the youth with the eating disorder. So I'd start with hope that people get better, that there's treatments out there that have been shown to work. FPT has been found to be quite successful. It's the most successful treatments considered really the first line. So not to give up hope and they're not in this alone. I would remind them that things that are being taken away or ways that the therapists or the parents are intervening are just for now. That's sort of a hallmark of family-based treatment that we often end every sentences and it's just for now because that's true as soon as a teen is feeling better weight restored eating more appropriately we want to give all these things back that's the goal of treatment so for now is a really important concept i think i would also advise to tell somebody it's an illness of secrecy uh, the eating disorder thrives in secrecy and so the more open and honest a teen can be with those around them, whether it's friends, parents, teachers, the better chance for recovery. And the eating disorder can't live where there's openness and honesty. So I would say tell somebody and then recognizing that recovery is hard, treatment is not all that comfortable, and that it may be hard, it may, it may feel a little worse before it gets better, but it absolutely gets better. So I would also want to say, hey, this gets better. Hang in there. So for parents, I would have different advice. Uh, Some of it's similar, things like hope and you're not alone and this is just for now. 
are all important concepts also for the parents who can feel kind of bad and weird to suddenly be making sure you're home for dinner, things like that. So for now is really important for the parents to know as well. The other thing we say to parents is often by the time an eating disorder is recognized, it's really just the tip of the iceberg that what you can see above the water is just a little bit. You kind of go, huh, my kid's struggling a little bit. But often what's beneath that and once treatment starts, there's like a whole bunch of stuff going on underneath and that the eating disorder may be much more powerful on the teen than parents ever realized. So I'd like to prepare the parents for that, that what you're maybe seeing is just the tip of the iceberg. And because of that, Parents do the quicker success and recovery goes to parents who basically kind of drop everything at the start and really focus. So they may have to take off from their work to really focus. So it's say all hands on deck, give it all you got as soon as you find out about it. And you can't overreact, I often tell parents, because parents will say, well, I don't want to overreact. Do I really have to keep her from camp? And I might say, you know, you can't overreact because you're trying to save your kid's life. So maybe she could have gone to camp or he could have gone to camp. But why not keep them safe if you if you need to? And then the other thing, it's really important for parents is this idea of prioritizing their child to get better versus feel better. Getting better means hard stuff like eating a meal or completing a meal you don't want to or gaining weight if you don't want to or not being able to use the bathroom after a meal if you wanted to. And both for teens, but also for parents, it doesn't feel good if your kid's uncomfortable. You don't want them uncomfortable. And yet recovery is, and the analogy we often use, you may have heard this before, is imagine, and I've worked with parents whose uh, children have had cancer, for example, and chemotherapy tends to be pretty uncomfortable. And yet if a child was struggling to go do that, the parents I've worked with don't go, ah, you can skip it today. They will say, I am so sorry. And I know this is hard and I'm with you every step of the way and we're going to get through this. Feeling better would be to skip it, right? But getting better would be to go, but doing it lovingly. So that would be what I would say to the parents. Thank you for all of the advice you just gave. I think it was really helpful and I really hope that it does resonate with anybody in the audience. And so kind of, I think this was a perfect segue for the next question because On the topic of people silently struggling with eating disorders, I know that me and people in my community and for both Kirpa and I, we've seen people maybe start on that path to maybe a really difficult eating disorder or any sort of form of feeling body dysmorphia. And it's an uncomfortable decision to have with a friend. So um, just if you could give us any advice on how to make that better for everyone and how to kind of lovingly approach that sort of topic with a friend, that would be great. It's a great question. And I guess the first thing I'd want to say is there's no right answer. (laughs) So to feel free to kind of do what feels right. I guess I would answer that two ways. If somebody that either a sibling or a friend is not in treatment or you don't know if they're in treatment, I would suggest one, 
making it talkable, if not with a friend, you know, if you don't feel comfortable talking with a friend, maybe to someone else. So you as the observer that's worried can also go to another adult, teacher, school counselor, parent, your own parent, to say, I'm worried. So you could approach the friend or approach somebody else so you can get some help because being, being worried about a friend also yeah, creates its own anxiety. If you want to talk to the friend, and again, there's no right answer here. So I like to recommend what I call share the dilemma. So your question is even a dilemma. What do I do? I care about this person. I want to say something. Is it my business? Will I hurt their feelings? It's a dilemma. So a great way of approaching dilemmas, from my perspective, is you share it. When you go to this friend and go, I have a dilemma. I care about you. I'm worried about something. Yeah, I might be completely off. And I also don't want to upset you or make you mad. Um, but I want to ask you if you're okay. Something like that. So you share the dilemma. And most of the time that goes really well because you're not coming at it like, I know, and I know exactly what needs to happen and I'm worried. But you're going, I, I don't know what to do here, but I know I care about you and I'm worried and this is what I'm seeing. So that's if you, if somebody's not in treatment and you're worried they're not getting help. If somebody is in treatment and you're worried about them for whatever reason, one of the things we say in in family-based treatment, the friends and siblings in particular, the role of a friend and a sibling is just to be that, the friend and the sibling. So you say, hey, let's go see a movie or let's play a game or let's, if you see them struggling with the meal, distract. Talk about the you know, most recent episode of Grey's Anatomy or something. You just play the role of a friend and a sibling in a distracting way. It's not your job to make them get better or to feel responsible for their recovery. You just be the friend of the sibling. And the other really cool thing friends and siblings can do is practice what a lot of recovery is, which has to do with body compassion, body acceptance, So you yourself don't get involved in, even if you want to, uh, but you just don't get involved in conversations about the latest fad diet or your own negative body comments if you're feeling that way or any kind of judgment about body shape, size. And it can be good for the friend or sibling to also not engage in that. It's usually not really very helpful. It doesn't help our self-esteem to bash our own bodies so it can be very powerful to friends just to not engage or if the friend says hey you know many calories in what you're eating you yeah. go you know what I really just don't care even if you do care <laughs> uh, thanks so much for that I know it's definitely going to be helpful for our listeners and like as Anisha said both of us have seen people kind of start to go on that negative trend and I know it'll be helpful for us if it ever escalates for them. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of our series on eating disorders. And with that comes the end of this interview. See you guys next week. You are listening to Mindful, Beautiful, and Thriving, a podcast series by Tharaka Foundation. As part of our youth series, we will be releasing new episodes every Friday. So make sure to continue to check those out. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and thank you so much for listening.